tuning in to episode 98 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction or any type of compulsive sexual behavior. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. And there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. And uh, it, as I announced at the last episode, the New Year's resolutions episode, I had never run a special on the Pathback program, but I wanted to try that. And I've done that. A coupon code, Happy New Year, all one word, gets $50 off the program through January 15th. And uh, it, it, really good feedback from that. And I appreciate that. But I bring that up. Obviously, I want to promote the program and promote the Happy New Year coupon code. But um, I just love feedback. I love feedback from the podcast. I love the questions that I get. And I've even gotten feedback on the coupon code and on this uh, on the program. And a lot of people really have just been stuck on that word addiction. And I, I want you to know, um, no, no condemnation. Uh, even when I say it's a, a pornography addiction recovery program, there's a lot of debate on whether or not pornography is even an addiction. And my job is not to debate that. I've worked with over a thousand people and the Pathback program has worked with hundreds and hundreds of people who just want to get it out of their lives and they keep returning to it and then saying it's the last time and that sort of thing. And I promise you that uh, there is a life where you don't ever have to go back and look at that. It's a coping mechanism. It's where the brain wants to go when it's not kind of feeling all dialed in. So that's what the Pathback program is about and it will help you get past that. So please take advantage of this coupon code, Happy New Year, all one word through January 15th to get $50 off the program. And uh, please stop by TonyOverbay.com. Sign up to get more information on upcoming programs on happiness, couples communication, pre-marriage communication, anger management, all kinds of good things coming in 2019. And you can find me on Instagram at Virtual Couch or on Facebook at Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. All right, got that done quick again, right? So I'm excited. This is going to be a, probably a shorter podcast episode today. It's the last day of the year of 2018, but I really like that consistency of getting a podcast out and my voice is not gone, which it was last Monday, which is what delayed um, the New Year's resolution episode. And I hope you're coming along well with the New Year's resolutions. I've gotten a lot of good feedback there too of that whole acceptance and commitment therapy concept and how that will hopefully change your view of setting New Year's resolutions, setting ones that really matter to you, and then uh, watching what happens even if and when you maybe don't keep those up, and watching how the brain works to try to get you to you know, buy into this. See, that never works story, because if you buy into that story, if you, if you fuse to that thought with your brain, then you don't have to do the work that comes with change. And I, and I promise you, it, uh, if you really listen to that episode, kind of embrace those concepts, you're going to get somewhere with the resolutions this year. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but you're going to get somewhere, somewhere good. So here's what today's episode's about. It's, it's about shared experiences. And this is something a friend told me about a little while ago. And I often hear this in therapy and I'll just kind of lay out an example. Uh, a couple will sit down together to watch a movie or, you know, I know something on Netflix, a series, an episode, but in, in, in the situation I'll describe, let's say that the wife is all in. She can't wait. She's been waiting all day. She's been with the kids. They're all in bed. And the husband's been gone, and it's time to just sit down and relax and just watch something together. But the guy's on his computer. Or the other example that I hear often is where the guy's all in, and the woman's on her phone, or she needs full laundry, or she says, I just got, you know, I need to keep busy. I need a lot of these things going on. And uh, then they sit down to watch, and the show comes up, and some text comes up on the screen. Let's say it says something like, and I'm making all this up, but I don't know, 1993, Detroit, Michigan, you know, kind of setting the time. 
And let's just say in this scenario, the woman is is busy, so she doesn't see that text coming up. So a few minutes in, she's asking the guy, why are these people dressing like they're in the 90s? You know, and the guy's like, because they are in the 90s. Then you see the stuff at the beginning, and then they feel like this disconnect, even though they're supposed to be sitting there connected, having this shared experience. Or the one that they'll often hear as well is the there's some dialogue going on and you know the guy will say all right did you hear what they said there because i'm sure that's going to be important and you know she'll say no i you know i've you can fill me in later and then the guy kind of is like you know do you really even want to watch this together or so these moments that are supposed to be bonding moments at the end of a day or on a weekend turn into these kind of uh you know somebody well you put your phone in front of me or you put the laundry in front of me or you never put your computer down or that sort of thing and so I just really was thinking a lot about that, of what, what a shared experience really means to somebody. And uh, a little bit of a story time. Recently, my wife and I were going to go see a movie. And the movie, I actually had to look up the name of it. And it was the second uh, Fantastic Beasts Harry Potter movie. Um, Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald. My wife, who does listen to the podcast, is uh, she's a Harry Potter fan. I enjoy him too, not going to lie. And But I really just, I want to go to be with her. So, because, this quick side note, uh, movies, very happy place for me. Um, absolutely love movie theater popcorn, but also when I was in college, I went away to Kansas State University for a year, year and a half trying to play baseball out there. And uh, had a little bit of tragedy um, right after uh, senior year. Had some friends die in a car crash. I got run over by a boat. Um, that's a true story. Um, I got a lot of people that have uh, sent me questions wanting me to do an episode talking about that because it's on my bio on TonyOverbay.com. And uh, I'll do that at some point. But uh, literally got run over by a boat and kind of put me down all summer and then had some friends get uh, die in a car crash. So I go out to Kansas and I'm just recovering from this uh, this surgery and I've uh, been kind of told the good old classic, you'll never quite run again. So I'm trying to play baseball and I'm going to show everybody and it's not going as well. I'm away from home. And there was a little movie theater and the movie theater played. It was dollar movies at the time. This is way back in the late 80s. Um, yeah, not quite early 90s, late 80s. And just when I would go into the movie, I was just, you know, transfixed, transformed, um, never thought about anything else outside of me. When I'd walk outside of the movie theater, it was it was disappointing. You know, it was like, okay, back to reality, right? So anyway, movies hold this special place to me. So my wife and I love to go see movies. And uh, but and a lot of people like to say, well, a movie isn't a shared experience, that there's not connection there. But I was thinking about this as I was discussing this with the with a friend and go back to this second, the Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald. So I want to go because I love movies and I love my wife and we're going to go have this shared experience. It's nice to get away, nice to drive there together, all those good things. So what do we do? We can't quite remember what the first one was about. So we jump on YouTube and we watch there's I, it's amazing all the things on YouTube. I sound like, here's where I sound like the old man. Everything's on YouTube these days. So we find these little summaries, these four and five minute summaries of the first movie, and we watch them and we watch a couple of them and uh, then we talk about them. And so we're all in. We remember certain things. We don't remember certain things. We're in the whole way to the movie theater. We're kind of uh, my wife finds some uh, sites that then talk about the first movie and the characters and, and all these sort of things. So. It was fun. We go in there and we're amped up and we've been talking about it the whole time and we're together. So then when we're watching this movie and things come up or things that we saw, uh, things that uh, that were predicted, you know, we're whispering to each other and, and we're just we're, we're there. We love it. It's 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 a good experience. Same thing happened with Creed 2. Um, I apparently had fallen asleep during Creed 1. And so we watched the YouTube summaries together. We talk about them together. I remember in The Greatest Showman when we left that movie. And uh, just Googled P.T. Barnum and then just uh, read all the things that the movie kind of maybe embellished and uh, just had such a fun time together talking about that, you know, loving, loving everything about just 
the hype around the movie and us going to the movie and then reading the things that were right or wrong about the movie. Um, but anyway, and I have to tell you a quick side note too, we still have this, uh, responsibility in our, um, at our church where we are in the nursery and there's a, one of the, our, one of the little girls in there almost every Sunday, will put on a nice performance from the greatest showman. She knows all the lyrics to all the songs and, uh, I love it. It's it's fantastic. Again, shared experiences, right? But uh, a shared experience is something that leads to a lot of different things. It leads to inside jokes. It leads to sharing movie quotes, character references, you name it. And so I've, th- I've thought a lot about that, about what shared experiences mean. And obviously, when I'm, maybe you can tell when I'm working with these in, in a couple setting, and I'm, especially when I'm using maybe the emotionally focused therapy, the EFT model, if someone's emotional bid is, I want to be more connected during these times, is there any way you can put away the computer or, you know, that that's that emotional bid and here's their train of thought where they feel like they want this experience where they can just share the, the, the quotes, the, the story that they can be able to refer to these things, have something bonded together that they don't just view it as a, we just want to sit there and just be in the same room together, but we want this to be more than that, a shared experience. Um, I feel like that that's, that's a way to connect or bond, you know? So when that's put out there as the emotional bid, if the partner really hears that empathetically and understands that it's not just about, I want you to put the other thing away, the phone, the computer, the laundry, but I want this to be a combined shared experience. You know, I feel like that can be a pretty bonding thing, a positive thing. So I went to do a little bit of digging to find out if there's any research or some nice good old evidence-based theories around shared experiences. And I found some good ones. And so I want to share a couple of these. This is, uh, I'm going to be referring a lot to an article in the Atlantic. And the article is written by a woman named Olga Kazan. So she starts off by referring to a recent study in a journal called Psychological Science. And this article suggests that unusual experiences have a social cost and that they alienate us from our peers. So I thought this is kind of fascinating. So stay with me here for a little bit. So she said, extraordinary experiences are both different from and better than the experiences that most other people have. That's what the authors note. But being both alien and enviable is an unlikely recipe for popularity. So meaning that um, I'm talking about, again, the concept today is shared experiences. But a lot of times um, what this journal is talking about are people that then want to go find the unique and novel experience. And uh, again, I promise you this is all going to come together. So to test this hypothesis, the researchers treated a group of university students to a movie screening. See where I like this? Movies. The 68 participants each reported to the Harvard Decision Science Laboratory and they were broken up into groups of four. One person from each group was sent to a cubicle to watch an interesting video of a talented street uh, magician performing tricks for an appreciative crowd. The other three were assigned to watch a mundane clip of a low-budget cartoon. So one person watching the talented street musician, a magician, and uh, three people watching mundane clip of a low-budget cartoon. Everybody was told whether they were assigned to watch the boring video or the interesting one. Afterward, each foursome was led to a room and they were told to talk amongst yourselves. The researcher left the room and then returned five minutes later. So the researcher gave the subjects another survey, this one consisting of two questions. How do you feel right now? And on the same 100-point scale, as well as how did you feel during the interaction that took place on a scale of uh, 100 between excluded and included? So surprisingly, the people who watched the extraordinary video, remember the person who was by themselves, felt worse than those who had watched the ordinary mundane cartoon clip by about 10 points. They also felt more excluded by about 30 points on average. So a a gentleman named Gus Cooney, who's a Harvard PhD student and the study's lead author, said that, you know, what he derived from this is conversations thrive on ordinary topics. So these three people stayed in the room and talked about the mundane cartoon and they felt more connected. The person who watched the incredible, extraordinary street musician, magician, 
every time, right? Uh, felt worse than those who watched the mundane clip and also felt more excluded. So the guy who had the extraordinary experience had a harder time fitting in. So then um, the, the author, Olga, says, why then would we ever choose to go skydiving or Icelandic volcano spelunking? Why would anyone pursue unusual encounters if the banal ones make for better chit-chat? So the authors performed another experiment, which they asked a new group of participants to picture themselves going through the two different conditions, whether watching the magician, got it right that time, video, or the cartoon one, and then talking with others. They were asked to score how they thought they would feel during the conversations. So participants expected an extraordinary experience, like watching the magician, to leave them feeling better than the ordinary experience at all points and all time, the authors wrote. So when people were just thinking about what they would like better, it was, of course, I would I would much rather be alone and watching the uh, street magician than together watching the mundane cartoon again. So there's the significance that we think that that, of course, would be the experience. But then when we actually go through the experience, we we want this connection. So in other words, we think that seeing or doing amazing things will make us feel better than people who haven't. So it actually makes us feel worse. So the authors of the study speculate that this might be because the joy from an unusual experience kind of fades quickly. So we think about, I guess, as uh, Olga said, Icelandic volcano spelunking, and we just think, okay, that is going to be amazing. And we may go do it, and it might be kind of amazing, but that experience fades quickly. But the sting of not fitting in, because we didn't share an experience with our peers, even one that wasn't impressive, like the mundane cartoon, that's what lingers. So um, Cooney went on to say, a hallmark of the non-social pleasures, whether the cool tingle of Dom Perignon or the hot snarl of a new Maserati, is that people adapt to those quickly, which is why such experiences are typically best when they are novel or rare. So, you know, if someone is really chasing that novel experience, they will get that rush from it. And so that's why they need to even seek the more novel or the more rare. So Cooney and his co-authors, Harvard's Daniel Gilbert and University of Virginia's Timothy Wilson wrote, the social pleasures have a different appeal. So people crave acceptance, belonging, and camaraderie. And the hallmark of these pleasures is that they come more readily to those who fit in than to those who stand out. So, and I, and I don't want you to take from that, or I hope that you won't take from that, that I'm saying, hey, everybody needs to fit in with everybody. It's, it's not about that, that concept of just, I have to go along with the crowd, but it's that concept of wanting to join in or, or communicate or experience with the crowd. So people who had extraordinary experiences, meanwhile, had little in common with those who had run-of-the-mill experiences, and the resulting combination of strangeness, jealousy, and abnormality caused the extraordinary people to feel left out. In other words, you had to be there, right? That's, uh, and I'm, I'm given, that's Olga Kazan's quote. You had to be there. So apparently, though, we don't anticipate the social rejection that might in, in, come about us when we try to um, go on and on about our unique and fascinating experiences. And, and if I'm being honest, I was sitting there thinking about this one a little bit. And, you know, people, uh, it's all over my bio that I run a lot of ultra marathons. I've done a bunch of, I don't know, a bunch of races that are 100 miles or, or longer distance. And somebody can ask me a question and I can want to tell them about something that was going on at, you know, one in the morning when you're 70 miles in and you're feeling this way. And, and, you know, it's not a shared experience. It's not something that someone feels a part of. You know, a lot of times all they'll say is, I just think you're crazy, you know, or that sort of thing. And so, but then when you're talking about these experiences within the ultra running community, man, you could tell race stories all day. Matter of fact, there's a really big um, thing within the ultra running community of uh, race reports. And as a matter of fact, when I first started um, running ultra marathons a long time ago, uh, part of the thing that I love to do is I wrote these race reports. Some of them are still out there that are, I mean, they're long, they're so long because, you know, I love to write and I would just go into the minutia of, 
just these these races, these 100-mile races. Some of them, I think, were 20,000 words long. I think my first uh, Western States 100-mile run. And uh, got a nice following from that. And, and it was because it was a following within that ultra running community where people want that shared experience. And a lot of times, even when you're doing an ultra marathon, part of the fun is coming up on somebody and talking with them. Or after half of the race, you usually have a pacer with you. And so it's not this unique experience. I mean, some people do. Um, and I don't know if I really ever had one of those. I don't think I have. I've never done an ultra marathon where I haven't had a pacer, a family member, a friend, or somebody who kind of go along with me through the last part of the journey. So, I mean, it really is about that community. And I thought about even in my work, I get to see the community side of things often. I get to talk to people that, I mean, man, the other day I was, uh, somebody was asking me, you ever heard of D&D? And I, and I, you know, first of all, I'm a child of the 80s. So that was when it was, it was big. I remember my friend Billy Devil, his, uh, his older brother, was the first dungeon master I was ever aware of, DM, I've now learned. But uh, I got half a dozen clients over the last year or two that have have told me all about their, their playing D and D and that sort of thing. Or I've got people that are, you know, their community is CrossFit or I've got people that their community is uh, a lot of computer things or online gaming or that sort of thing. And so those communities, that sense of community is what is tight. So how does this go along with past research showing that we should spend our money on experiences and not things? That's the question that Olga Kazan asks. Um, Cooney, who was again, one of the authors of the study suggests that uh, the study should just encourage people to look before they leap. When we're choosing what experiences we have, we're only thinking about the benefits, not the social costs. And so the study could also be read as not a criticism of adventures, but more of a defense of also celebrating the mundane. So it shouldn't stop you from wanting to go, um, spelunking in, where was it? Uh, Iceland. But, uh, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, you know, can you find more folks, friends, a community of people that want to go cave spelunking in Iceland? Or can you go embrace that and then know that you can still come home and, uh, you know, not feel like something's wrong with you if people don't want to go on for hours and hours? Boy, I just had that thought where uh, when I was growing up, people would always talk about um, they would go on a vacation and then you would go over and you would see, I guess, their slides and that it would just bore people to tears. And, you know, I'm sure that's part of this where people want to say, look what I did. And uh, if people haven't been there or people haven't, you know, gone through that same experience, it's probably a little bit of a, okay, you know, that looks pretty cool, but um, we're on hour number three. So uh, can we, you know, can we talk about what happened earlier today in the news or, or I don't know, something like that. So uh, really quick, a uh, couple more things here. The findings are also echoed in another recent psychological science study that found that sharing experiences, even with a complete stranger, this is one, one of these that fascinates me makes people rate those experiences as more intense than people who underwent them alone. In uh, this experiment, students reported liking a square of 70% dark chocolate more when they ate it at the same time as another study participant. They said that the chocolate was more flavorful than those who ate it alone. This holds for negative experiences too. Those who ate a square of 90% dark chocolate shown in pretest to be unpleasant rated it as less tasty um, when they ate it at the same time as someone else. So uh, it's kind of funny, right? So when you have somebody there with you, it's going to make the experience better. Or if you're having a shared negative experience, it's going to make the experience worse. It made me think of over the, before Christmas, my wife and I were out buying some gift cards for, uh, for our kids. And I was at one place where I was there getting gift cards and there was one of the, and then maybe, maybe you are this person, maybe you know this type of person, but, uh, there was a woman who, and I was sick. My voice was gone. I could barely talk. And there was just a woman who, as soon as I kind of just looked around, she was looking for someone to share an experience with, even about the gift cards. We're standing there in line by a, a sign that basically says, buy gift cards here. And she says, D do they sell gift cards? You know, and I can't even talk. 
And, uh, and I was so bad. I didn't want to engage, but she wanted this experience. And I kind of pointed to the sign and said, I couldn't talk. And so then she was like, yeah, Oh, what happened to your voice? Right. How it's gone. It hurts. You know, I'm trying to say that. And, and so then she wanted to uh, be my advocate. She wanted to order the gift cards for me, but uh, here was someone that wanted to have this shared experience. Um, when people think of shared experiences, what usually comes to mind is being close with others, such as friends or family and talking with them, said study author, Eric Boothaby. Um, We don't realize the extent to which we are influenced by the people around us. So together, these studies show why people bond, and this is uh, Olga Kazan's um, words, why people bond over first date horror stories or awkward middle school memories or why upon returning from a great vacation, we're often more likely to to talk to friends about the inept tour guide or the inedible hotel breakfast rather than the mesmerizing sights. Kind of goes back to, I think about this often, my wife uh, wants someone, someone, a person we know in all pictures on a vacation. And, you know, I was kind of coming at it from a, hey, look at this mountain, that kind of thing. She just wants a person in the mountain, even if the person is little, you know, it's, it's, there's that experience. We shared that experience. And then it's like, I remember, I remember that picture. I remember being at that mountain. I remember those things. If not, you know, in theory, I could, I uh, guess I could go take a picture off of the internet and say, check out my vacation. Right. Um, but in social interactions, people aim for relatability, not impressiveness. And, and that's hard for some people to uh, understand. I think a lot of people do feel like, I could really impress someone right now with the stories of my vacation, but what people really aim for is that relatability, almost uh, saying that it's more important to having undergone something than having somebody understand what your experience was and undergoing that. Uh, One more thing, man, I'm talking a lot about my wife, which is uh, kind of fun today. Um, Another thing came to mind with me. So my wife has swam from Alcatraz to the shore now a total of eight times. Uh, and various races and that sort of thing, which to me is just the most incredible thing in the world. If you if you ever, if those who listen who happen to know my wife or if you ever get to meet her, she will never tell anybody that. I mean, that is the last thing that she will ever do. She And if you talk to her about it, she's like, oh, it's no big deal. You know, and I've always said, yeah, you bet. A mile and a half in the freezing cold water and the shark infested waters with a very strong current. No big deal. Everybody can do it, you know. Um, and I always just say, kind of chalk that up to her being humble. But uh, I love this concept for where it says people aim for relatability, not impressiveness. I think that's where I get it wrong sometimes, you know, where um, being more relatable. So if I think back to these Alcatraz things, it's funny. What my wife will always do is immediately go to that. Well, anybody could do it or you could do it. Or and she's even said, you know, you should do it with me. And uh, and we've had it. We've done that family, friends. There have been people who've. Okay, I think I will, you know, and it's not like my wife goes home and goes, oh, man, I wasn't really wanting to. And she's like, okay, isn't that great? You know, and it's like, okay, she's she's wired for this relatability, not the impressiveness. So I'm the one that's typically, you know, bragging her up. I can't lie. Um, but, uh, but I love that takeaway. So it's like, she wants to then relate to, Hey, if you can swim, you can swim from Alcatraz where I think I've told stories on this podcast before. Uh, that is not the case. I, I can barely make it across my pool and, uh, there's no way I'm swimming Alcatraz, but, uh, um, you know, I, mean, I can still relate to the fact of going there and being with her. I've got my whole routine down of after she gets on the boat, take the kids, we get donuts, candy, that sort of thing and watch mom come in at the end. So amazing stuff. So anyway, I want you to think about that concept of shared experiences. Maybe the next time when you just think, I want to hang out with my spouse, I want to hang out with my kids that, uh, and, and you are one who is thinking, you know what, I'm here. So if I want to, I don't know, play some games on my phone or if I want to answer email or that sort of thing, then that's okay. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm the last person to say that, uh, you know, I know everyone is busy. I know they are. And, but I would love for you to think more about that concept of the shared experience, about the relatable experience. So it's not just about we occupy the same room together, 
Although in the grand scheme of things, is that better than not being together? Probably. I mean, I want you to be together. Um, but think about those shared experiences. Think about the concept of things being relatable. And, uh, you know, think about being able to talk through a movie or talk through a, a TV show. And I got to tell you, that's even one more. I wasn't going to go to this. I was going to go ahead and end it right now. But one of those that I remember seeing early on in therapy was uh, when, when somebody would say to me, and uh, I softened the guy, who he would say, you know, I just want to tell my wife this story. And she wants to ask all these questions. And I've just, I've told her, look, I'm going to tell the story and I don't want to hear any questions. And it's like from that relatable EFT standpoint, what does that tell your spouse? You know, it tells them you will sit here and listen. And even if you don't understand, I need you to nod and agree with me. And a lot of times the guy would look at me almost to say, you know, can you back me up here? And it's like, oh, you don't even know what you just asked. It's like, absolutely not. You know, I, I want to go in and when I'm going to talk to my wife, I want to say, all right, I'm about to tell a story. And uh, the floor is open for questions. You know, you can cut me off at any point. Uh, I want you to ask me, you know, you can ask me who's that person or wait a minute. I, I, lo- I got lost on that because if our goal is to communicate and that is the person that we care about in front of us, then, of gosh, of course, we want to be able to um, I don't care if we have to get a dry erase board and write down all the characters. And if we have to, you know, reenact, uh, get the kids out and, and, and reenact the uh, situations that we're describing. Um that's my person. That's that's my wife. That's the person I want to share things with. So yes, we can ask questions. And if we have to pit pause and say, now what did that person just say? Or or what's going on now? And then we're going to do that. You know, this person is right here beside us. We're trying to have this shared experience. Um, we don't want it to feel like, okay, uh, I'll sit there, but I can't ask anything. What if I get lost? You know, and then it's, that's not our goal. Our goal is connection. Our goal is a shared experience. Now we know that goal is relatability, um, not just to power through and get through a season of whatever the show is. So, uh, hey, thanks for spending this time on the virtual couch. I hope that you have an amazing, um, happy new year. I will see you back in 2019. And uh, so I will see you next time. And still, the same virtual couch coming back to you next year, 2019. But a lot of big things in store. And I'm just so grateful for each and every person that is uh, that has subscribed, um, that has spread, that has shared episodes, that has, has given me feedback. Um, that's rated, all of that. So I'm so grateful for everything that uh, that, that uh, I always say it feels funny to say you guys have given me, but I really am. And I look forward to even uh, doing more content, having more great guests and uh, just uh, just doing a lot of uh, a lot of relatable experiences in 2019. So until then, I will see you next time on the virtual couch. Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is Wasting rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most
Allow the understanding through To heal the legs and hearts you broke 